and welcome to our latest Governing Chatters podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Ellie and Laura and we're going to be talking about governance professionals who are either self-employed or manage a trade service and explore how careers have developed and evolved um, into clerking initially and then beyond um, into what is more than NGA's level three career pathway. Um, So Ellie and Laura have joined me today and uh, I'd just like them to introduce themselves if you would. Uh, Shall we start with Laura please? Hi Amy, hi Ellie, my name's Laura Corcoran, I'm an independent clerk um, and I work for multiple boards and I live in Cambridgeshire. Thank you and Ellie. Hi, um, thank you for having me today, I'm Ellie, I live in Gloucestershire and I run a business called ProClarking, uh, which provides clerking services and also um, training workshops and support for clerks and governance as well. Lovely. Thank you. As I said, it's lovely to have you joining us because we get lots of inquiries about being self-employed, how to go about it and the benefits of it, uh, you know, and, and what's the best way to make it work. So initially, Laura, how did you... Uh, make the decision to become uh, self-employed and and to go your own way, as it were, rather than being employed by a trust or a school or even a traded service? Well, first of all, the role of the clerk's changed. It's it's grown a lot since I started out in 2008. And I'm proud to be able to offer a bespoke but realistic package, I think, of what the role entails. I think it's really important also that boards have the professional and the independent impartial support and advice that they need. And I think that in itself is becoming more and more recognised. I think also I went from being a part-time, relatively inexperienced clerk 15 years ago to now an established clerk. And I realised that I could apply my knowledge and skills to support a range of different boards and not just those within my own LA. For me, also the pandemic opened up so many more opportunities because of remote working, remote meetings. Therefore, being able to work with boards more further afield has been fantastic, not just my local schools. Um, And as I say, it's brilliant being able to work with a variety of different boards from different educational settings, for example, you know, academies, maintained schools, uh, church schools, you get to work with different dioceses, different central teams as well. And being able to share that expertise and the wealth of resources that you get access to. That's great. Thank you very much. And Ellie, so same question, really. What did you uh, do? What made you make the decision to uh, become self-employed? Yes, yeah, similarly to uh, to Laura, I kind of just saw the opportunity. Um, initially, actually, I was working part-time uh, as a company secretary for a, a mat, and I saw an opportunity come up for our local school um, for a clerk, and I thought, well, I, I can do that. So I took that opportunity and, and got that job, as it were, and then as more opportunities came up, I thought, actually, this is an opportunity now to become self-employed rather than working, you know, for an employer. Um, so, again, I just I just took that upon myself and it, you know, worked around my home life, my family life. And that's where it kind of started is, is just taking that opportunity to, to step outside my comfort zone um, and give it a go. And, you know, now I'm, I'm fully self-employed um, with... 13 contracted clients ranging from mats to maintain schools to even corporate clients as well. That's great. So you've mentioned there some of the benefits of being self-employed, but what are some of the challenges that you've faced and, and had to overcome in actually setting up 
Laura, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, I think the only challenge for me really is that sometimes I think it can be quite isolating working for yourself. I mean, I'm lucky in that all my boards are very good at, you know, asking how I am. Um, And I do have a lot of people that I can go to for independent advice. Um, But I think that when you're your own boss, there's always that sense really that, that the buck stops with you. Yes, yes, I can imagine. Um, do you get involved with other clerks still in the same way um, that uh, you might have an opportunity if you're working for, say, a maintained school and the local authority has uh, governing services that you can join? Are you still able to access things like that? Yeah, abs- absolutely. I mean, this is one of the things about you know working for multiple boards you do get access to different governor training programs um you know from from academies but also I always tap in with the local authorities as well um, and access their network meetings I access their clerks briefings so luckily you do get access to that wide range of of resources and different contacts that you have for advice that's great so Ellie have you any challenges that uh, you felt were initially difficult but you've managed to overcome that uh, other people might face yeah absolutely so I think um for me it was kind of that transition from thinking you know as as an employee to then being um, a small business owner effectively and that side of things so it's not only um you know working at how to uh, manage multiple clients if you've got multiple clients you know how how your systems fit around that um, creating systems, managing those systems, um, communication obviously is always going to be a big one. You know how I communicate with my clients and make sure I'm not leaning too much time and spending too much time on on say five clients and not the rest or something like that. Um, and then also figuring out the sort of ins and outs of of running or starting and running a, a small business effectively. So you know there's lots of moving parts. Um, you don't want to overcomplicate things, and I think that's something that I tend to do is I overthink things. So um, you want to just, like I said, create these kind of these systems to, to manage things, but also then you've got the side of things that you might not have done before, um, such as bookkeeping, you know, invoicing, setting up uh, service level agreements, things like that. Um, so again, it's kind of, it's nice to have that support or someone you can go to, to kind of say, what do I actually need? Um, and then it's also kind of building in that capacity as well. So if you do want to start taking on more than a couple of clients, say, then actually do you have the capacity to be able to fulfill that work and fulfill it to a high level? Because what we don't want to do is dilute the quality um, that we're, we're giving to our clients. So it's, it's thinking about those sorts of things as well. And I think, you know, we're quite lucky in this sector. And I don't know if Laura finds this as well, but finding clients isn't necessarily a challenge. I find it's more the other way around in the sense that actually, you know, there's a lot of schools out there who who want support and need support from from a clerk or just even from, you know, someone to kind of support their new clerk even. Um, so sometimes you have to kind of take a step back and say, actually, you know, is this the right uh, time for me to be taking on on more work sort of thing? So, so yeah, so the, the swings and roundabouts a little bit, but I think in this sector at the moment, there's not a shortage um, in terms of, of, of finding finding work, which is, a, you know, a good place to be. Absolutely. I would agree with that, actually. And I think, as you say, there tends to be a, a shortage of um, established experience, independent clerks. Um, there's there's plenty of work, plenty of inquiries, as you, as you say. It's just being able to build up your own resources, really, to, to manage 
the workload I think that comes with with being a multiple board clerk. Yes, I think you've mentioned there, um, Ellie, about um, the side of things that perhaps you wouldn't have to do, the invoicing and the managing of the business side of things. We often get uh, queries about things like professional indemnity insurance and IR35 tax implications. Are either of those things um, something that you've had difficulties with or that you had to research yourselves um, to actually overcome and and yeah sort out where you should be with them something I found helpful when I was starting out this and I realized that actually there was more to being a self-employed clerk than just the clerking if that makes sense um is actually I looked at what VAs do so I looked at virtual assistants and I looked at there's quite good advice out there for virtual assistants and that helped me then kind of map out the key areas that you need so actually when you're just starting out if you do want to start out as a self-employed clerk then actually your setup costs and setup you know systems are quite small you know all you really need is a laptop um but as you said then you you realize that you're certainly adding on potential software or potential um, insurance and things so indemnity insurance is absolutely key um there's lots of insurers out there i've just gone for one that suits virtual assistants because in a way there are those similarities and that kind of helped me whether that's something that that actually suits this role, you know, 100%, probably not, but I think it's the best we can do at the moment. Um, but yes, the IR35 um, is is another prime example. I had to get my head round. And again, it's kind of being aware of it, ensuring that you do fit into that self-employed category, because you may not do, and it might... Um, well, it does actually instruct how, for example, your service level agreement is set up. So, for example, part of my service level agreement says that I can find, if I'm not able to fulfill the work, I'm able to find someone else to do that. And that is part of qualifying as being self-employed effectively. Um, so, again, it just helps you kind of to be aware of those things, um, but then to maybe have like a master sort of checklist of those, those high level aspects that, that you actually need to get started. Thank you for that. Um, another thing that we get asked about a lot is obviously how much you get paid per hour. How do you work that out? And how do you um, actually set up those service level agreements? Do, have you got a, a, an effective charging model that you use that you can clearly say, right, this is what you're asking for. So this is how much it's going to cost. Or have you had to evolve something as you've gone along? Do you want to start with that one, Ellie? Oh, yeah, I was going to actually say Laura might be better at starting this one um, <laughs> because I don't feel like I feel like that's where I'm at at the moment is that what that's I'm in that sort of establishing phase. You know, I've realised quite quickly that what I kind of decided to start charging early on is perhaps not fit for purpose. So I, I um, initially modelled my hourly rate upon what that initial school that I took on was currently pay, was paying their clerk. So I didn't want them taking on my services to be detrimental to their budget that's what my thinking was however the service I'm providing is probably you know or hopefully a lot better and a lot higher quality than potentially what they had before um and I realize now that actually that's quite a low rate so that is something that I'm kind of now managing um so yeah I'd be interested to see how how Nora does that because I expect she's a bit more established than I am (laughs) 
So I've tried different charging models over the years, and there are obviously various ways of doing this from a self-employed point of view. For example, you know, meeting fees, hourly rates, but I'm now at a place where I'm very happy with my business model, which consists of one annual fee um, invoiced in three equal amounts each, each term. And my SLAs form a contract between me and the school or the board, what I expect from them, what and they can expect from me. And this year, I actually introduced uh, bronze, silver and gold packages with my enhanced package, taking a lot of pressure off of the chair and the vice chair and including certain things such as a subscription to governance learning platforms and, and to Governor Hub. And I feel that charging this way is, is fair. Um, it incorporates all of the kind of the silent work of the clerk, as it's known, the, the behind the scenes work that clerks do in keeping boards compliant and up to date. So I guess anyone starting out on their own should be keeping a record of their hours, not only keeping track of how long it takes, for example, to put a meeting together from start to finish, but all of those things that crop up in between. And I mean, I find myself that I'm always tweaking my business model, my SLA each year, because this year, for example, I found that around certain times of the year, such as audit time for academies, there can be a lot of extra work to do, especially in the case where you've perhaps just joined the board that autumn and you've taken over where there's perhaps some gaps, gaps in governance, gaps in clerking. This can be an issue when you take on a new board. Um, and how I get around that is I always do an audit of governance processes uh, when I start, because quite often you find that you're bringing the board up to scratch. So it's good to incorporate those kind of extras that, that, that you anticipate at the start of the year. Sorry, yeah, I was just going to add that um, a good place to start as well when you're thinking, you know, I don't know how many hours this is going to take me, for example, is there's certain information um, I get from schools, you know, when they're thinking about becoming a client um, to get an idea of like the number of meetings and things. And then I create a sort of spreadsheet as a starting point that says, right, this, these, this is the months of the year. This is how many meetings. I know that it's going to take between, say, eight to ten hours per meeting. Um, I then put on a couple of hours a week admin. And then, as Laura said, you know, thinking about those those peak times of the year around audit and around, you know, the start of the year, compliance checks and things like that. And I start building that in. And then you can give quite an accurate quote. But what I also do is, is thinking about not just the hours you're doing, but the resources you're providing. So, for example, you know, I'm using resources that I've tried and te- tested. I know work. Um, and therefore I also charge an annual fee for the use of those. So it's just thinking about all those different aspects, exactly like Laura said. I think onboarding is really important. So, you know, that goes from um, having your service level agreement agreed, obviously, you know, setting them up on your invoice system, um, ensuring that you've got access to any previous um records or information from the previous clerk um so you can start then building that picture you know do they have this in place do they have that in place if not okay is that something we can work on is that something they want me to put together for them policy management is a prime example you know do they have a clear policy management um review system in place that's a project i can build into our time and i can quote for or whatever um but also then it also does that compliance checks as well so I have an onboarding check and I have a a compliance checklist uh, which then I can share with them and say look you know all these green areas that your compliance is you know your DIAS matches your website and that matches companies have to do an academic trust for example Um, 
these orange ones need a bit of work. There's something that's done there. And then these bits, as far as I can see, are not compliant. Straight away, you know, you're killing two birds almost, aren't you? You're giving them the reassurance that, oh, okay, this is what we need to go on. This is what we need to act on. But you're also kind of building this picture for yourself. And I think that's something I learned quite quickly. You know, the first time I took on a client, I just sort of assumed they'd have all these things in place and you realised that they don't. And it's really important, Ellie, isn't it, that you have these key documents in the first place, in the outset, that you that you locate these documents because that's what you're governed by. That's what you're advising your, your governor and your trustee colleagues with. So, you know, you have to do, as you say, that that, that start of year audit. So if there are any gaps, then you can rectify those straight away. And that you can make sure that from from the offset that everyone's got everything that they need or they, that they know where to find it. Just to add to that, I was just going to say about the importance of the community then as well. So like Laura said, you know, linking in with other clerks and other communities around clerking is so important because it can be incredibly isolating, regardless of whether you're a self-employed clerk or not. And actually, everyone's trying to get to the same endpoint aren't they and everyone's trying to achieve the same things and they're probably having the same issues or the same challenges so actually being able to talk to other people and share what you do and get their ideas is hugely important especially I think if you're a self-employed clerk um, because you might not feel like you have those those contacts you know to go to invaluable I would say yeah definitely and do you find that when you're starting out obviously you're doing your checks and and balances um do you have to have the conversation initially with what the school thinks that they want and then does it get a bit awkward because you have to come back and say well actually I'm going to have to do this 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 and this so it's going to cost a little bit more. Um, is that difficult to manage in the first instance? I think this is where having really clear expectations is is really key. And when you have a service level agreement, you have to be quite specific about what you offer. And you need to have that face-to-face meeting or, you know, virtual meeting to say, this is what I would do Um And then maybe have add-ons, you know, if there's big projects. So, for example, like policy management, if you're starting really from scratch, it can be a huge impact on your time and your capacity. So that might be, for example, an add-on. So your service level agreement might say, I will manage uh, policies for meetings, you know. Um, However, if you want a full review, plus the more putting into, you know, style guided and, proofread and etc etc you might want to think about doing that separately so it's not selling yourself short and you know giving yourself enough hours but you might also um, consider saying this is what I expect it to cost however I'll only charge for the hours that I do Um, and this will be the the maximum and this will be the minimum so that could be another way that you do it so you know I will do a minimum of 20 hours a month and a maximum of 30 hours if it's anything over that, then I'll come to you and we'll have that conversation. So there's different ways of kind of managing it, depending on how, how you want to, to do that. And of course, that can be dependent upon the client as well. Have you anything to add to that, Laura? Yeah, no, it's, it's worked really well. So I've, I offer um, an inclusive SLA, which incorporates all of those aspects that we've spoken about, you know, based upon good governance. So not just in terms of meetings, but as we spoke about all the things that happen in between, you know, your, your training, your compliance, recruitment, governor visits. And I have, um, when I start working with a new board in September, for example, we have a strategy meeting in the summer term 
where we plan for that coming year. Um, so we plan the, the, the annual meeting cycle. Um, but we also have a look at the, the SLA and go through that. And I will set out those expectations. So, for example, they'll be aware already that I'm going to be doing an audit of, of processes um, and that we then um, will review that. And in addition to that, I hold um, two catch-up meetings a term. So that's a, a, a essentially a gender-setting meeting with my executive, so my head teacher and my chair, for example, or, or your CEO. But that's also an opportunity to review governance and to review progress between meetings. So if there are, there are any outstanding matters that I need to bring to their attention, for example, or vice versa, then we have that opportunity to do that at those six scheduled meetings that I set at the start of the year. Yes, yes. I think that's a, a very good tip there. And uh, like Ellie mentioned as well about communication, it really sets the tone for it then, doesn't it? If you've got those meetings scheduled in uh, and you can have those regular discussions, I think that uh, helps the relationship building as well, doesn't it? I was just going to say as well, I think, you know, this is where it comes down to being, you know, a bit confident in what you have to offer as well, you know, and stick to your guns. Um, because, you know what you are offering them is more than probably they've had in the past and once you've had a chance to actually show that and to you know to even send out a really comprehensive meeting pack for example they'll start to understand okay right now I understand the quality that I'm getting and you need to have confidence in your ability to do that and also the ability to say actually no that's not part of my role that's not what I'm you know I'm, I'm not your PA for example or something like that um you know so you need to be able to go in there confident in yourself and confident in, in what you're offering and what they've, they've signed up for. That's right, Ellie. Uh, and I think that, as you say, they're perhaps not used to having that level of expertise and advice before. And I, and I find that school leaders, you know, they will want to invest in you as well. That's good to hear because I was going to mention next about CPD. Um, how do you access it and how do you incorporate it into your service level agreement? Because obviously the schools that you're working for are going to benefit from any uh, professional development that you undertake. Um, so are there issues around that, um, first of all, from the service level agreement, but also from the point of view of how do you access uh, continuing professional development and uh, identify where you might need uh, extra training and support and, and how you go about getting that? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, essentially, I do fund my own C, uh, CPD. Um, but again, referring to, to working for multiple boards, I'm really fortunate in the platforms and the subscriptions that I get access to. Um, a lot of my boards subscribe to NGA, for example. And, you know, there's a lot of modules now that are relevant to Clarks as well. And I keep up to date with the mandatory training, for example, safeguarding and EDI via those platforms, which my school subscribe to. The courses are generally online so that the things that you can do in your own time. Um, I'm a fan of webinars and podcasts. And again, you can play these back in your own time. I tend to do those on my walks, which is really handy for me um, because, you know, just we just don't have the time in our working day, which is full up of meetings, appointments and governance. Um, the auditors and solicitors I work with actually thinking about my academies they also do some great courses and some some webinars and they're, they're generally free um so whilst promoting these with my boards then I do try and attend those too because they're always relevant and really really useful that's great and Ellie do you find that uh, you have ease of access to CPD as well? Yeah, I think, um, as, as Laura said, we, you know, you're really lucky when you're working with, with clients is that actually there's a lot of things you can tap into. 
Um, and I would just say, just trying to soak up as much as you can. You get the opportunity to go on anything because you don't know what you, you will learn. And, and it's, it's, but it's also quite reassuring. So, um, you know, to go to training and be able to go, oh, yeah, OK, I know that and I do that. Yeah, we've got that in place. Or, oh, actually, that's a good idea. I'll do that as well. You know, it's, it's also reassuring as well as learning new things um, that you're still, you know, doing, doing the best that you can. Um, and I think having that mentality of, of always wanting to learn more and get better and improve, you know, is really important, especially as a self, when you're self-employed. Definitely. And I think we've just kind of touched on it there a, a little bit about well-being and, and managing your time and um, being self-motivated. Have you any tips for people to make sure that uh, it doesn't overtake you? Because I can imagine that actually it's quite easy when you've got a number of schools to actually immerse yourself into governance so much that uh, you have to have that self-motivation not only to do the work, but also to take a break from it. Yeah, I mean, that can, that can be a, a, a challenge. And I, and I think that you do need to be disciplined um, when, you, when you're working for yourself and the demands that come with, with working for, you know, a range of different boards. Uh, but on you know the flip side to that is I've always I mean I started out parking the same when my children were very small and the remote working the the flexible hours that really works for me so I I mean I do have meetings most evenings Monday to Thursday it's rare that I'm not clerking but I'm fortunate in that you know I can take a couple of hours out in the day and go to the gym and that's that's how I manage my own well-being by just being really disciplined about having those breaks and thinking, you know, it's okay to take an hour and a half, two hours out because I know I'm going to be working till, till nine o'clock tonight. And I'm fortunate that being my own boss, that I can do that and that I can leave my office, you know, and go and have some time for myself. And I think that's, that's really, that's really important. And, that, and that's really important in, in the sense of managing our, our well-being definitely that's really good have you got any tips Ellie that you would add to that yeah absolutely so I think that's you know that's in the sense that it's you have to manage your time and you have to create those boundaries but then also as Laura was saying you know the benefits of working for yourself for me far outweigh the fact that I might be working at strange times sort of thing because I get to pick and choose as and when I do things so just some some things to think about um, scheduling, you know, think about how you schedule your own tasks. So if you're using your calendar, for example, you might time block, you know, the first Monday of the new term or the first couple of days of the new term to really sit down and do all your planning for the term or whatever that looks like for you. Also think about potentially, you know, especially if you have got a lot of clients and you've got that income coming in, there might be some tasks that you think about or outsourcing. So, you know, we've touched on um, virtual assistants and that is actually a very real possibility. You know, um, if you if the thought of, you know, raising invoices or, you know, just doing any kind of bookkeeping scares the life out of you, then you can probably find someone who can do a couple of hours a month even um, just to keep you on top of that. So those aren't necessarily jobs that you need to be doing. Um, I think also, again, I know I keep saying it, but coming back to clear communication you know, don't give out your, or you might not want to give out your personal phone number. <laughs> um, or you might say, you know, I'm happy for you to WhatsApp me on this channel, but actually that's, you know, otherwise, or you might say only contact me through Teams or email. Um, so make that really clear right from the outset. Uh, you might want to think about office hours, you know, so generally um, doesn't necessarily mean that you stick to them in your own work or with meetings and things, but you can say, you know, I'm usually contactable between 
10 and 2 or something like that you know and you can kind of make that quite clear um if you're term time only make sure you use that out of office as well um to explain that you know you might not be checking your emails as often and, and things um and just trying to set those boundaries so i think i think if you work a lot on your business you know that's not necessarily a bad thing it's because you genuinely enjoy what you're doing <laughs> you know and sometimes you're really passionate about something and you want to get it done and you want to get it done well so you know it's not necessarily a bad thing if you're working at you know silly o'clock in the morning or or the, or the evening um as long as you're doing something that you enjoy so being able to pick those hours is is the benefit I suppose it's like governance itself. You have to do a regular audit uh, to make sure that uh, it's working for you, don't you? Yeah, that's it. And, and I think it's not, you know, as Ellie said earlier, it's not always a, a one size fits all model. You know, you, we work with, with, with colleagues, we govern as being the biggest volunteer workforce in the country. You know, I think that there's, we need a degree of clerks, need to, that sense of empathy, really, working with volunteers because, you know, we're realistic about the fact and sympathetic about the fact that a lot of colleagues are, are doing this on top of their own full-time jobs. So we, we try and accommodate that, you know, as, as, as best we can, um, you know, and they rely on us, don't they, Ellie? You know, they, they yeah. rely on us as, as their dedicated clerk and we want to be able to provide that service and respond to them when we can. But I think that at the same time, there's that, it's, it's, it's being realistic, isn't it? That you can't be there all the time. It's okay to turn your phone off and go for a coffee for an hour because actually when you get back, your minutes will still be there, your emails will still be there. Um, and it's things like WhatsApp groups, you know, there's there's I, I'm you know, I, I'm encouraging boards to, to go down that road to improve communication, uh, to improve efficiency, but at the same time, you know, oh another WhatsApp group I've got to manage. So being disciplined about that, archiving them in the school holidays. As Ellie said, put your out of office. I did that for the first time ever, I think, this holiday. I put my out of office on and, and it felt good. And it, and it felt, you know, there's that explanation to, to anyone that's expecting a response that actually, you know, yeah, of course, I might be checking those emails, but not to expect a response until term starts. We all want that downtime. We all need that downtime with our families. But as individuals, um, it's up to us, us to manage that. Definitely. And it sounds like uh, you're doing a very good job of it there. Um, I think really just to finish off, I'd like to talk a little bit about future uh, career opportunities um, or where you might see your businesses going and developing. Um, Laura, do you want to go first? Because you're perhaps further along the journey than Ella is. Yeah, it's funny, a colleague and I are looking into this at present at the moment, actually. Um, I, I, do mentor, I do mentor other clerks. I have clerks that I work with. I have clerks that I use for meeting cover, etc. And I do see this as a definite way forward in expanding my business. And then further boards across the country will be able to benefit from my expertise. And obviously, you know, I can only be in one place at once. So it means that as much as I love to be hands-on with all my boards, I'm realising that going forward, I can't necessarily be at every single governor's meeting every single night. But operationally and day-to-day, I will continue to be the board's first point of, of call. And governor and school leader colleagues know that I'm always at the end of the phone or an email should they need anything. So that's that's the direction of travel, I think, for me. Um, and a big ambition I have is is to write a book. I'd love to write a book. <laughs> um, I've got colleagues who have been down this road, um, you know, and I've been invited to the book signings. I've been able to recommend their books to, to new governor colleagues. And I'm so proud of what they've achieved. And I just think it would be 
a fantastic lifetime achievement. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Yes, I like that. Ellie, how about you? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think because um, I've got kind of two strands to to pro clerking. So I've got the, the clerking service, which has very much been me, myself and I. Um, I've just taken on a colleague to help with that now. So that's really positive in terms of business growth. Um, but also capacity and, and, you know, well-being and all that side of things as well. Um, so I'd really like to develop that into um, a, a local, but also then a national clerking service as well. Um, I've started working with cl- clients outside of my county, which is quite exciting. So I'm excited to kind of push that forward. Um, and then the other side of things um, I offer is around the training and the workshops and the and the resources. Um, and there's various ways of doing that. So I want to kind of develop that side of things as well. Um, and we have a, a Clark's annual planner, for example, which is a physical planner, um, which came out last year and was really successful. So we're doing that again this year. Uh, and it's just bespoke. So it's that side of things as well. So it's the products and the resources and the workbooks side of things that I'm really interested in in developing. So I kind of see myself, you know, from a sort of with a business and entrepreneurial head on as well as a clerking head on, you know, I've now got a corporate client, which is completely, in a way, completely different, but in a way, not different at all, you know. So there is avenues to then transfer these skills, you know, outside of education as well, if that's something that you're interested in. That's great. Thank you. Um, so if we could uh, just for a very last uh, points to raise any top tips, have you got anything that you think, I wish somebody had told me that before I started? Yeah, and I think, you know, do, do your research, do reach out to clerks that are already established, like myself and Ellie, that, you know, that started off perhaps with a, you know, with a, a traded service or part of a wider organisation and to seek that advice. Um, I'm always open to to sharing advice, uh, you know, with with you and, and, and aspiring clerks. And it's really, I think, a case of going back to the basics, really, thinking about those skills and those things that you've applied and putting them into practice um, on an independent basis. So it's it's making sure that you've anticipated those situations and that you've got the relevant contingencies in place to make everything work between yourself, the board and and you, you know your you school leader colleagues that you work with that's great thank you and Ellie top tips top tips um definitely to like Laura said you know tap into your clerking community um and to other clerks who've already been down this, this route um and I always say to people it's not necessarily what you know it's it's where to, that you know where to go to check or who to go to ask so, you know you're not doing this on your own so I think that's that's really um important um, definitely don't reinvent the wheel you know if, if you can help it you know check if anyone else has got something they can share with you or they want to collaborate on because actually you know you, you'll get you'll save yourself a lot of of work um, potentially doing that um, always start with compliance always start with safeguarding compliance whenever you start with a new client um, that's got to be your top priority um, something I always say as well is under promise and over deliver so I try to sort of live by that rule so if I say for example I will aim to get um, draft minutes out to you within a week of the meeting. Um, then actually in my schedule, I've aimed to do that within like three or four days, you know. Um, and just remember that, you, you know, you can do anything, but not everything. That's great. Thank you very much. I think we've had a really good conversation there. So thank you both for your input into that.
I'm sure it'll be appreciated by those listening. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Ace. It's been really good talking to you.